What's the reason for church? Does a church have a mission? And if so, what is it? In this message, listen as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on the mission of the church, pursuing the lost. John chapter 6. The primary purpose of the Gospel of John is twofold. It's evangelistic to convert non-believers. Kind of the seminal or the focus verse of that would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, That's just one of the the two uh, purposes of the gospel of John. And again, God wants you to be saved. Jesus desires you to be saved. Jesus left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross so that all people everywhere of every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue could hear the glorious message Jesus saves that we just sang about. And our Our prayer is today that if you don't know Christ, you will be saved. And that's one of the two purposes of the book of John. The other purpose of the book of John is apologetic or to explain and defend the truth, to prove that Jesus is true and to identify him as the God-man. So there's an evangelistic purpose uh, to encourage people to believe. And the word believe is actually, is actually mentioned approximately 100 times in the Gospel of John. And then there's an apologetic purpose. So he doesn't want it to simply be emotional. It is emotional and intellectual. Believe, and here's why you should believe on Jesus. Believe, and here's why you should believe on Jesus. Believe, and here's why you should believe on Jesus. Whether you're watching at home or in the crowd today. Let me just simply say this. The Bible has the answer to your questions. The Bible can answer your questions. We're, some people say, well, if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe with blind faith. No, no, no. Our faith's not blind, but there is faith. There are things involved that we, we do not understand and we don't fully grasp everything about God. I'll make no apology for saying that at all. Jesus, or the scripture actually says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There are a lot of things that we cannot prove that we believe. Like your hunger. You can't prove you're hungry. You say, no, no, I feel it. Okay, that's a feeling, but it's not a fact. There's a lot of things you cannot prove that you are fully persuaded. And so when people tell me, I only believe in what I see. Oh, so you don't believe in love. Because you can't see it. Oh, no, I believe in love. Oh, so now you believe in things you can't see. See, one of the things that Christians try to do, we try to be philosophically consistent in everything that we do. And the Gospel of John is written to help reinforce that concept. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only, salvation is only through the person of Jesus Christ. But then we want to answer your question. And as John is a 93-year-old man, the author John is a 93-year-old man as he writes this in very, very simple language, in very, very common man language, the apostle, the last remaining apostle who is alive on the earth, this apostle writes the gospel of John with two fundamental purposes, to prove that Jesus is, uh, or, or to prove that Jesus is the way of salvation and then to apologetically defend that position. John is selective in his writing. He doesn't record every event of Jesus' life. You could read about that in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 to 31. He doesn't write everything that goes on. But this is one of the few, if you will, accounts that are in all four of the Gospels. The resurrection would be another one. And this story in John chapter 6, or this account in John chapter 6, is in all four of the Gospels. And John's account is most unlike any others that are in Scripture. 
John had, Jesus, in coming to John chapter 6, had spent a good amount of time with the folks in the area of Galilee, where he is at the time. Debbie and I have had the privilege of being where they believe to be right there. We, we, we were there. We're going again, I think, next year. And, and uh, Jesus and the disciples got into the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side to be alone. There had been a long season of ministry, John chapter 5, and then there's a, a big gap of time between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, but John 6 picks up where Jesus is very exhausted, if you will. It seems like, I'm not trying to read into the scripture, but it seems as though that's the case when we take all the accounts together, and Jesus and the disciples are exhausted, and they go to the other side, and they, they go to a place where, where they think now, Jesus knows what's going on, obviously. He's omniscient. But where the disciples think they're going to enjoy some rest, and the people see them going. And according to John chapter 6, verse number 2, the people see Jesus going there, and they followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And so Jesus is leaving. The disciples leave. They go to a mountain. The people follow him. And in mass, a group of people follow him to where he is. Now, John says 5,000 men. The parallel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke say different things, but we estimate somewhere conservatively around 10 to 12,000, a little more what I would argue a little more realistically, it would seem like about 20,000 because the average Jewish man in that day, they assume, would have taken his wife and at least two children with him. And so most Jewish men would have been married and and uh, Galilee of the Gentiles where Jesus is. They were always looking to hear something new and see something cool. So there's roughly about 20,000 people that are there. And Jesus has been teaching them, according to Mark chapter 6, all day long. John doesn't list all of that, but if you, we were to take time to read Mark 6, which we won't because of time, because of time, you would see that Jesus has been teaching them all day long, an extended period of time. And they're, uh, they're hungry. They have a need. And Jesus knows their need for food. Jesus knows they're hungry and that they have to go home. And so Jesus is going to do what Jesus does. And Jesus is going to meet the need. And in dealing with the people's needs, we learn some things about missions that are that's very, very, I think, applicable for our lives today. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 35, we see the disciples' initial response in this way. They wanted to ignore the problem. The people had a major need going on, and the disciples just are like, let's just ignore it. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Mark 6, 35, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place, and now the time is far past, or it's late into the evening, Lord. What have we done? That's far past would mean we're getting towards the end of the day. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. In other words, the disciples says, we feel no responsibility towards their plight at all. We, 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 don't, we, we don't have any responsibility. It, it doesn't even seem like an unfair statement to make. Send them away. Let them take care of themselves. Lord, just, just let them go do their thing. But it is an insight into the condition of the disciples. They were with the man they believed to be the creator of the world. And their very first response is, just tell them to go somewhere. There's got to be a McDonald's somewhere. There's got to be food somewhere. There's got to be a, a place these guys can, can get their stuff together. And they really just wanted to ignore the problem. Isn't that kind of the adage of the average, not to be offensive, but the average Christian today? When it comes to the plight of the world and the need of the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it kind of like out of sight out of mind? 
oh, I see that there's a need, and maybe we get an email or we, we, we see an interesting, um, you know, video uh, about the plight of people in some part of the world or the plight of people in our own part of the world, and, and we see this need and we see this problem and, and we're moved. We, 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 we have a sense of like, oh, something should be done about that, but, but we're never the ones who are supposed to do the something about it. We're really good at identifying problems that we don't need to solve or we don't feel a responsibility to solve. And you say, Pastor, what disciples did it? Mark doesn't tell us, I think in his kindness, Mark doesn't tell us exactly who did it. But I will say this, I, I think there's a lot of people who when it comes to the need of the gospel around the world who simply ignore the problem. You say, come on, Pastor, what would lead you to say that? Here's what leads me to say that that the average Christian in America today will spend about four to five times on their dog than they will on missions. I'm not exaggerating those facts. The average Christian today will take way more monies and budget it towards vacation than ever to send for people to hear the gospel around the world. Way more, the, the, the Christians way more concerned about the vehicle they drive or the house that they live in than they are about sending the gospel all over the world. You say, well, I, I didn't mind it when you talk about the disciples, but I don't like this about me. I get it. Might not be the most amen message I've ever preached. But I just want you to understand something. There is, there is a need in this world to hear the gospel and people will not be saved without the gospel. We saw that over the, over the period of this study, over the period of this series, Pursuing the Lost, that how shall they hear without a preacher? If nobody takes the gospel to them, then they're not going to hear. And please don't come to me with some lame, broken down, childlike argument that says, well, if they're really serious about it, then God would send somebody. And by the way, I believe that is true 100%. But if that becomes the standard, then everyone should quit preaching the gospel and you shouldn't have opportunity to hear the gospel. Paul says, I am a debtor to the Jews and to the Greeks, to the barbarians and to the Scythians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to them that are in Rome also. What Paul is saying is every person on the face of the earth, I owe a debt to, and the debt is not financial, the debt is spiritual. I owe a debt to them to see that they have the gospel proclaimed in a way that is reasonably acceptable so that they could respond. That's why in San Diego we have Spanish tracts so that you can give people who speak Spanish at least information so they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a Spanish ministry and an English ministry. And I look forward to the day where we have a Vietnamese ministry and a Tagalog ministry and uh, uh, um, Eastern European ministries so that people in their own language can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need not wait for those days. We can't ignore the problem today while we wait for God to bring that. We need to be engaged today in responding to the problem that is happening right now. John chapter 6, which is in our text, is verse 6 and 7. Really verse number 3, Jesus went up into the mountain there, sat with his disciples in the Pass and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him and said unto Philip, when shall we buy bread? Or where are we going to buy bread that these people may eat? Well, why is he asking Philip? You ever wonder that? It's because Philip was from that region. Philip was like a, a location expert. This is his, his, not necessarily his hometown, that's not how... Galilee of the Gentiles was. It was a lot of little villages around there. Still kind of is if you go to that day, Tiberius, Capernaum, not far apart, several villages in between those two places. When shall we buy bread? Or Philip, where can we go to buy bread that, that these may eat? And, and this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now, the first response to the people's need was to ignore the problem. The second response was in Philip in verse number seven, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Here's what Philip said, there's no solution. 
Philip, where can we go buy some bread to feed these folks? Philip, Philip wasn't making an untrue statement. And, and Philip is simply saying, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. There's no solution. Here's why. Because there's not enough money. There's no solution because there's not enough money. Lord, 200 penny worth of bread. Now, an argument could be made further down the chain that where are you going to go in a small village to get enough bread for 20,000 people? There would be a money problem. There would be a logistics problem. I mean, Philip, Philip was, was really, he wasn't, he wasn't being faithless. And by the way, I don't even know that the initial disciples were being faithless, that they just were ignoring the bigger problem and they were ignoring who was standing right next to them. And Philip is saying, Lord, 200 penny worth of bread. You say, well, how much is a penny? Well, a penny is what, what's called a denarius. And it's the amount that a laborer, the average laborer received for the average day's wages. Well, it doesn't seem like a huge amount of money. So 200 days of labor for the average laborer. In modern day terms, I looked this up this week, that would equal about $35,000 before taxes. So it would equal $12. No, let's just say $35,000. If the crowd, which was 5,000 men, had their child, their children and their wives, let's say it was 20,000 people, which is kind of the traditionally what is, what is thought, then that comes to about $1.75 per person, which isn't much food unless McDonald's is having their two-for-two two special. It's just not a lot of food. And there's a lot of things that would have to be done with all of that as far as inflation goes and things that are related to finance to help us to understand. But what Philip is saying is, Lord, if I had, if I had $35,000, that's not enough food to feed everybody in this crowd. It's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Lord, even 35 grand wouldn't be, or even, even 200 penny worth would not be enough that, that everybody in this crowd could take a little. And maybe there's more than 25 less, but whatever. Philip was not making, listen to me, he was not making an untrue statement that the need is far greater than what we have. And the scripture does not say, and there's a little bit of debate on this by pastors, the scripture doesn't say they even had 200 penny worth of, of money, that they had that much money in the coffers that Jesus and the disciples, we don't know how much they had, but what we know is even if they had that amount of money, it wouldn't be sufficient to feed the crowd. Philip just said, Lord, nothing can really be done because there just isn't enough money. Pastor, I'd give to missions if I just had more money. Pastor, I'd help people out to hear the gospel if I just had a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. You know what I found in 30 years of ministry? That people who don't have enough money when they have a little don't have enough money when they have a lot. Because the issue is never amount the issue is a willingness to sacrifice. At Canyon Ridge, we don't believe in equal giving. If you make a lot, you should give a lot. That's why Jesus gave it to you. I'll, I'll say that again because some of you don't like it, but you should write it down. If you make a lot, you should give a lot. That's why Jesus gave it to you. We don't believe in equal giving as far as amount goes, but we do believe in equal sacrifice. If you, make a, if you don't make a lot, you should still give a lot. That's why Jesus gave it to you. Now, a lot to you might be a lot less than a lot is to somebody else. But you're making, you know, $150,000 a year going, I give Jesus $10 a week so the lost can hear. That, can I be really candid with you? That's crummy. You pay more when you just take your family to Starbucks. They did a report recently in America and found that the average Christian, not average is by everybody who claims to be a Christian. I get it. Don't, don't, don't assume yourself as the average. Just the study proved average. That the average Christian spends more on their specialty coffees every year than they do on the cause of global evangelism. The average Christian is more concerned about a really crummy cup of coffee from Starbucks 
with lots of sugar and vanilla and ice in it. By the way, if you drink that, that is not coffee. That's dessert. Like, I just can't get through the day without an iced vanilla latte, extra whip, no cheese, but a burger at the bottom. <laughs> By the way, can you put cotton candy at the top? And people are like, I just love coffee. Dude, that is not coffee. Navy chiefs are closer to coffee when they don't wash their mug and the mug walks itself to the coffee pot every day than what you just had. What you just had is some kind of major sin that we'll deal with during the marriage weekend, or I got to find it in the Bible. Teasing a little bit about that. I'm, I'm really not, really not at all. I just can't wrap my head around that. I just need that to get through my day. Just get a milkshake, all right? That's what you're drinking anyway, all right? Just sniff coffee, drink a milkshake, and you're good. I've got friends like, I don't like coffee. I love hot chocolate. Welcome to the nursery. Dude, good grief. But you're literally more concerned about that than you are young people going to a Christian camp and hearing the gospel and getting saved. You're more concerned about that than young people going to camp and going in a place of anxiety, discouragement, depression where they've been cutting and having major mental health issues and the word of God is preached and their life is transformed. Well, but I got to have my coffee. I, I get it. Have coffee. I mean, I drink coffee. I have a lot of ways. I'm a big fan of coffee. I, have, I think not, now nine different ways to make coffee at my house. People keep buying me these different types of pots and things, and I love every one of them. I like them. I watch YouTube videos about coffee. I can tell you the exact temperature and the type of ground, and I've got special grinders that friends have given me. I had a friend that sent me a $300 coffee grinder. I use it once a year. It's a blessing. And <laughs> you say, what do you drink every other day? Keurig. You say, that's cheating. It, it totally is, but Debbie makes it and I feel good. So it's got a lot of caffeine. Matter of fact, I, sometimes I don't even drink coffee. The older I get, how many of you are tell, telling the truth? It's just for the caffeine. It's, it's like you got five-hour energy next to the bed. The alarm goes off. You just pour it in your ear, hoping it'll make it to your belly. But we're more concerned about things. There's no solution. I can't give because I just don't have any money. I can't give. Because I'm just so far in debt. As a general rule, the reason that you're in debt is because of envy, not need. You had to take that vacation. You had to do this. You had to do that. And I'm not against vacation. I'm not against this or that. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But the reason we often don't have enough money to do what God has called us to do is because we wasted the resources that he gave us. Philip's answer was a fair answer. Lord, we just don't have enough money. Continue looking in our text this morning. In verse 8 and 9, I love this next disciple. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, every, just about every time we see him is bringing somebody to Jesus. Would to God that every one of us would be Andrew's. That every time we hear from you, you're bringing somebody to Jesus. Oh, hey, pastor, this is my coworker. I, I led him to Christ, and I'd bring people to you. Hey, this is my friend, and I had the privilege of sharing Jesus with him. And this is my neighbor. I was able to share Christ with him. And wouldn't it be awesome if everybody in the room had the spirit of Andrew who had a desire to introduce people who don't know Jesus to Jesus? I had the privilege this week of sharing the gospel with some people and introducing them to Jesus. They haven't accepted yet, but I, I, I love the opportunity that I had to share the gospel with them. I never want a week to go by where I don't share the gospel and try to introduce somebody to Jesus. That's Andrew. He's, he's saying, Lord, I, 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 I'm bringing this person. Andrew bought, brought his brother Simon Peter to, Peter to Jesus. We read about that in John 1, verses 40 and through 42. He, he's bringing people from the feast in John chapter 12 and verse number 20. And here, Andrew is bringing a, a little boy to Jesus Christ. He says there's a lad here or a young boy, maybe 8 to 12 years old, somewhere in there, which has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Here was Andrew's response. I tried. It just won't work. I tried. It just won't work. I mean, I walk through the crowd, Lord. 
And what I found as far as food goes, because I was going to organize a potluck, and we were going to bring people to the potluck, and, and all that I found for the potluck is like five barley loaves and two small fish. That's all that I could find. Andrew showed initiative while the other disciples stood around. Andrew was aggressive about meeting the need while the other disciples were careless. I, I'm not, I know my heart, I'm not being negative to any of these disciples. I actually find myself in the same condition so many times. They were, he tried, he looked, and it's a fair question to ask. Jesus, there's 20,000 people, and what I found are five, about the size of a Twinkie, a barley loaf. I found five little Twinkies and two goldfish. Two small fish. If you go to Israel and you eat fish out of the Sea of Galilee, we would call that tilapia. They would be big. These would be small. They're not tilapia. They're tiny lapias. <laughs> They're just really, really small. Now, being that I'm the younger brother in the family, my sister works here for us, my brother lives in Florida, works a, a, a secular job, but is very, very involved in the children's ministry of his church. But it doesn't matter if you grew up in a pastor's home and you're a pastor, family treats you in a way, especially if you're the youngest sibling, that's just ungodly. Family always treats siblings bad, especially the youngest. I've lived my life abused. I'm just telling you, if you're a therapist, I need to talk to you when the service is over. And, and Andrew and Peter, I sense, are the same way. Well, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. Andrew's bringing people. And then Andrew comes up with this little lunch from this kid. And I, in my mind, he's like, Jesus, I, I brought this lunch, but what is it among so many? It probably didn't happen this way, okay? But you have to accept the creative nature of your pastor in this way because it's, it's helpful for me to see it in this way. And that is this, that as Andrew comes up, to Jesus with the bag of lunch, and he tells the Lord, what is that among so many? This is how I see Peter over here going, what is that among so many? You idiot. That's nothing. Now, I don't know if Jesus heard Peter say that, because you know if you're family, you can say a lot with nobody ever hearing you especially siblings. And I think Peter looked at him like, Andy, what in the world are you doing? Why are you bothering Jesus with this? We're trying to get Jesus to send these people away so they can go home and we can go home. We were tired before we got here. These 20,000 people showed up and we've been ministering all day. Now we're way tired. Would you just shut up so we can all go home? I don't know if it happened that way, but that's how I see it. And what are five loaves and two fish going to do? You're going to give everybody a sniff? If 20,000 people sniff a fish, the fish will be gone. They don't even get to eat it. It's just done. What are they among so many? I love verse number 10. Oh. I, in my mind, again, I just hear the disciples going, what are they among so many? How small, Andrew, would you have to cut each piece? And there's this little lad there, this little kid that he's standing over there going, man, these 12 guys are grouchy. They must be Baptists. And, and they're just kind of, kind of, you know, it, it's, it's happening. They're moving. They're just, things are going on. They're just involved and engaged. And, and they're just talking. And then Jesus, I, I think Jesus, if it works in my life, the way my mind sees it, I, I'm sure it didn't. But I think Jesus and the lad are just watching. I mean, Jesus had had enough of them making fools of themselves and the 20,000 people watching what's going on. Jesus looks at the 12 apostles and goes, hey, make the men sit down. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Because they're Israelites. Everything in their mind goes back to that journey out of Egypt into Israel. They would have been taught about making the men sit down. It was cultural for them that when they would go to something, the men would sit down, the ladies would sit down. They would not sit in the same group. They'd been seated in different groups as a general rule. And I'm sure that was the case here because it was the cultural thing to do. And they would sit in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus says, make them sit down. Now, if you're a staff member for Jesus, when you make the men sit down, 
you know you're not sending them away. And all those 12 dudes want to do is go home and watch the Super Bowl because they're tired and they're ready to get out of there. And Andrew's going, I did all I could. I tried. It just doesn't work. Jesus says, make the men sit down. So the disciples go through the crowd. Hey, sit down, sit down, sit down. Organize yourself. Get in groups, groups, 50, 100, 150. Ladies and children, you're over there. You guys sit down. There's a lot of grass in this place. If you've ever been to that part of Israel, you know between Tiberias and Capernaum, the region that this happened, and uh, there was a lot of grass in that place, and uh, there is a lot of grass in that place on the hillsides. Everybody sit down, sit down, sit down. So they got everybody seated. It wouldn't have taken too long. Everybody's seated. And now we see what Jesus wanted which is nothing more in verse number 10 than a broken offering. Look at verse number 11. Make the verse number 10, make the men sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sit down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them who were cast down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would or as much as they wanted. So the people sit, stand, sit down. Jesus prays. Here's what the scripture says, the parallel passage in Mark chapter six. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, Jesus, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fishes divided he among them all. So, okay, we, we got to just tell the story in a, in, in a fun way. <sighs> Jesus, do you see the, the 20,000 people out there? It's getting late. Send them so they can buy bread in the villages and go home. I, I, I mean, there's nothing else that can be done. Here, Jesus, Jesus, there, there's, there's no one around here to help them. Jesus, we'd like to help. There just isn't enough money. Even if we had all the money we could from 200 days labor, it still wouldn't provide for them. And we don't even have that kind of money. We'd help them. There's just not enough money. Lord, I found this little kid. And this kid, he has a bag, and in his bag, he's got two small fishes and five little loaves. But what is that among so many? Hey, guys, do me a favor. Make them and sit down. Everybody sits down. I wish Jesus could pray over my food. John chapter 6. He takes that little lunch, he blesses it, he thanks God for it, and then he says, hey, Peter, come here, Mr. Big Mouth, and he just starts breaking it. Oh, Peter, grab a basket, you're going to need a basket. You don't need a basket for five loaves and two fishes. You need a brown paper bag, a small one. A small one like you get at the taco shop for salsa. That kind of small brown paper bag. And Peter, get a basket. It, oh, wouldn't it have been the coolest thing to be a disciple and yet a little bit freaked out because you know that the next story that you have with Jesus isn't going to go so well about your lack of faith. And you bring this basket and Peter's like, what is he going to do with the basket? And he's holding the basket. Peter's holding the basket. And to me, he's a petulant teenager, just like, oh, come on, come on. We're missing the first quarter, you know. And then Jesus just starts breaking bread. And he's breaking bread. And the crowd's watching, and he's breaking bread. And how long does he break bread for? Till the basket's full. Peter, go feed those guys over there. Bartholomew, another one of the disciples, come over here. Grab a basket. Here's some fish. Jesus has two fish in his hand, and he keeps just putting one in the basket. They know how many fish are there. 
and the basket fills up. You go over there. Thaddeus, come here. And he's breaking bread. James, come here. And he's giving fish. And he goes like that till all 12 apostles are in the crowd feeding people. When you're done with that, come back. And they feed 500 and they come back. Hey, grab some guys out of the crowd. You guys over here, you come over here. And he breaks the bread. And he gives the fish. Go feed them. And he breaks the bread. And he gives it. Anybody else got any more baskets? No, Lord, all we could find was 12 baskets. Okay, bring me your apron. And he fills the apron. Go feed those people. Bring me your apron. Sorry that it's cotton. It's going to smell like fish. <laughs> Go feed them. And he does that. Here's what the Bible says. Till everyone ate, ate well, listen to me, and they're like your grandpa at a buffet. They ate till they couldn't eat anymore. You ever seen those people at a buffet? Oh, you've seen yourself at a buffet. Where you eat, that's why I don't go to buffets, because I've been there with Bernie, and we're both just disgusting. And you get done at a buffet, and you, how many of you have said these words? I don't think I could eat another bite. How many of you ever said that word or that phrase? Yeah. Why? Because it's like up here. It's like your esophagus can't keep it down. You're begging God for the rapture and digestion all at the same time. That's how much they ate. They ate till they were completely full. Why did they eat? I'm going to tell you, don't answer. It'll ruin the moment. Why did they eat? Because there was this little kid who when he left his house, his mom gave him a lunch. And this apostle comes and says, dude, uh, this is all we have. You mind giving that to Jesus? We got to feed these people. Lord, I've done my best. I've done my best. And all I have and all I can find is this little lunch of five loaves and two small fishes. But what is that? What's that among so many? There's 20,000 people, Jesus. What is that among all of these folks? You know, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> in my original comedy sketch about Peter and Andrew, I had Peter telling Andrew Jesus was going to make the rocks manna. Jesus could, could have made manna. Jesus could have floated in Chick-fil-A sandwiches. You say, well, there wasn't Chick-fil-A yet. Well, I mean, if you're Jesus, you could do it. He knew what's coming. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to do. But you know what he did? He used that little boy's lunch. Five loaves and two small fishes. And he just kept breaking the offering and breaking the offering. And breaking the offering. Well, my little offering can't do anything. Well, you're taking away or not factoring in the compounding power of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's just a little offering. Yeah, but it's all that he had. If he gave it and Jesus ate it, he was going to go home hungry. He was going to go home with, without any food. But look at verse number 12. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. That nothing be lost. Jesus kept, kept breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and people had so much food in front of them. Grab back 
just get all the food that remains so that nothing is lost. It's been debated where that stuff went. I'll tell you what I believe with all of my heart, that Jesus had the disciples take the 12 baskets of food to the little kid's house and drop it off at his front doorstep. Why? Because when you give to Jesus, he always gives back so much more than you could have ever given him. Matter of fact, Jesus has given it shall be given unto you. Luke 6, 38, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall the disciples give into your bosom, or men. But, but you get the idea for the kid. You see, a broken offering is better than a big offering. A broken offering is given just what Jesus asked. A broken offering is better than a big offering. A broken offering is given just what Jesus asked. Well, Pastor, wouldn't it be awesome if Jeff Bezos got saved and started tithing to Canyon Ridge? It well, was, a matter of fact, it would. In a lot of ways, it would. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I mean, if, if Elon Musk, Pastor, do you know anybody that knows Elon Musk? Maybe you could go witness to him because he's like the wealthiest dude in all the world. And wouldn't it be great if, if he got saved and then he just started giving money to the church? Wouldn't it be great if we got some rich people in La Jolla to come and they start? Wouldn't it be great? Uh, okay, yeah, all those things would be great. And they really would be. That'd be awesome, fantastic. Praise the Lord. We could do some amazing things with all of that. But Jesus didn't need a big lunch. Jesus needed a lunch he could break. The reason some of you never give to the Lord is because you've never broken yourself down enough that you're willing to trust Jesus with your lunch. So the offering that you give is never a broken offering. It's more like a stingy offering. Like, ah, fine, I gave. So it's never, see, when it's an act of worship, it's broken. When it's an act of resistance, it's not. A broken offering is better than a big offering because a broken offering is just given what Jesus gives. Now, let me tell you how the disciples would have, had, would have thought about this. I'm almost done, literally. And then we're going to have a super goal party. But had somebody walked in with a catering truck that said Mike's Red Tacos on it, and then another one that said Roberto's. And then another one that said Abuela's rice and beans. The disciples would have been like, score, God blessed. That's awesome. And we would have been like, yeah, that's amazing. But Jesus didn't want those. You remember back in verse number six? Hey, Philip, when can we buy bread that these may eat? He asked him to test him, for he knew already what he would do. The boy's lunch wasn't a surprise to Jesus. The broken offering wasn't a surprise to the Lord. Jesus wasn't over there going, man, I hope somebody finds something. I got to multiply something. I need something. No, he already knew. A broken offering is just given what Jesus asked you to give. Here's what Canyon Ridge is asking you to do today for the cause of global evangelism. So that people in San Diego, Cal San Diego, the state of California, the United States of America, and all over the world can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what we're asking you to do. Give what Jesus gives. Give what Jesus tells you to give. We've spent four weeks, almost every service, talking about what God would have you to give, what God would have me to give to missions. This year, God's burdened Debbie and my heart to give more than we've ever given before. Like multiple car payments a month for expensive cars. That's what we're giving. Like houses that we could buy for our daughters. 
in Kansas. But nonetheless, <laughs> you can buy a house in Kansas for 12 bucks. Five loaves and two fishes, that's all we ask for this house. It's a mansion on a golf course. But seriously, you say, why? Because Jesus asked. Because Jesus asked. Well, well, what if he doesn't bless you for that? Then he's asked me to sacrifice so others can hear the gospel that I heard as a infant all the way till I accepted Christ as a 10-year-old boy and the message that I have literally heard or read every single day of my entire life. I'm a debtor. So you've given a lot. No. No, just to missions last year, just to help you understand, we gave over $30,000. Just to missions. Just so little kids can go to a youth camp and there'll be Cowboy Craig, a redheaded dude there with a cowboy hat going, my name is Cowboy Craig, let's all sing a dumb song. And... He used to, before he became the senior program director, he was a lot more fun, I might add. He was a wonderful dude, I'm teasing. But just so that little kids can go there from all over the country and go to a desert place, literally a desert place, and hear the gospel preached and their lives forever be transformed by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just want to give what Jesus would have me to give. And I thought last year, this would be the most we ever give. And then Jesus blessed this year, and we're given more. And if Jesus blesses next year, we're given more. And, and, and if Jesus blesses the next year, we're given more. Why? Because it's all his to begin with. We're just given what Jesus has. He doesn't need a big offering. He needs a broken offering. I got three take-home truths for you, and I'm done. Well, until I move on to the next thing. Number one, give what Jesus asks. It's on there. Give what Jesus asks. Number two, Jesus will work in ways you can't imagine. Verse number 12, take the 12 baskets full. He works in ways you can't imagine. You need to understand this. When you partner with Jesus, he's going to work in ways that you can't imagine. And by the way, when you give to Jesus monetarily, don't only consider the blessings monetarily. Your child getting saved, your marriage being good, you having some good health. Those are some blessings as well. They're not required, they're not necessary, but they are blessings of the Lord that he rewards to the faithful. So Jesus will work in ways that you can't imagine. And number three, Jesus, this is my favorite point of the whole message, Jesus never wastes an investment. You never lose an investment when you give to Jesus. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 10, now he that ministereth seed to the sower or, 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 or seed so the farmer can sow, ministereth bread for your food. And notice this, he's talking about the missions offering we talked about last week. And multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Doesn't mean you're going to get wealthy. Doesn't mean you're going to become a millionaire overnight. I've been given to missions. I've been given to missions well over 40 years. Never been a millionaire, but he will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. That's a faith promise giving verse right there. He will increase what your seed is sown and the fruits of your righteousness. Jesus never waste an investment. 2020, I had some friends call me. I try to be a good steward with the resources God's given us. And we have some retirement accounts. If you're young, you need to start early. And my dad always encouraged me to save. And so I'm, we save and, and give and save and give and save and give and save and give. And I'm kind of thankful my daughters aren't married yet because it's going to be a bummer wedding. Um, save and give, save and give. That's, that's kind of the story of our life. And I had some friends call me and they say, they say, hey, Chris, uh, are, are you buying any crypto? No, I don't even understand crypto. It makes no sense to me. You're buying, so, oh, you need to buy it, you need to buy it, you need to buy it. So I prayed about it. I don't know if I felt the Lord wanted me to do it, but I bought crypto and they're like, you watch for the next four months, it's gonna triple and it's gonna do amazing. Man, it didn't even not only triple, it dropped and it kept dropping and it kept dropping and it kept dropping. And now, I, now praise the Lord, I invested Debbie's money, but 
and I didn't invest a lot because I want to try to figure this out. And, and I didn't invest a lot. Bernard and I both did. And we just watched that thing cater. Now it's a financial Grand Canyon. Like we bring people over and say, hey, check out this cavern or, or cavern in our finances. See it there? People are like, do you have to pay taxes on that? I, there's nothing to pay. I, could, I just want to give it to the government. It'd be like my offering to Pharaoh. You know, like here, you can have it. I got nothing. Let me tell you what it's called. A wasted investment. Wasted investment. Like if you buy a GM product, it's a wasted. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you go, what's a GM product? You get that joke about halfway through lunch. That's why he's an usher. <laughs> That's why we don't let him talk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jesus never wasted investment. The investment he didn't make waste at all was the investment for your soul when he died on the cross of Calvary for your sin. If you will realize you're a sinner, repent. That means to agree with God you've sinned against him and turn from trusting in yourself and turn to dependence on Christ for eternal life. He promises to give you eternal life. Why would we give? Why would we go? Why would we say, why will I get on a plane really early Tuesday morning and fly to Columbia and be with our missionary Chesley Howell as we see his ministry and are part of his wedding and I'm at church with him on Sunday and looking forward to ministering to the folks there in Columbia. Why would we do that? Oh, because Columbia is great. I really don't like traveling that much. This body in an airplane, not fun. Come back for 10 days, have a marriage conference, work like mad for 10 days, no days off for 10 days. Come back, kill myself for 10 days. <sighs> marriage conference is over Sunday night. Bernie and I and our wives get in a van, drive to LAX to fly to Cambodia, 29-hour flight to go to Cambodia, to go there to encourage some believers who are really, really struggling. Why would we do all that? because Jesus invested in me and no investment is wasted. In just a moment, we're gonna give, and I just wanna tell you this, nothing that you give will be wasted. Christ will use it for his glorification and every dollar that you give at Canyon Ridge goes directly to a missionary. So two things. Number one, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, come forward today, trust Christ as your savior. Number two, if you're a believer, determined today to give in just a few minutes exactly what Jesus would have you give by faith. Father, bless our time in the word. I pray that you'd help us to pursue Christ. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at canyonridgebaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.